Alright. Well, it's good to be with you. I'd like you uh, to open your Bibles up to the book of Revelation. want to uh, continue looking with you at uh, chapter 1, uh, the first three verses. And again, specifically this evening, we would like to uh, give special attention to verse 3, which is kind of where we've been the last few nights. I know it's one verse, but, you know, if I was a better preacher, I could get it all done in one sermon, but you know how that is. Or maybe it's just if you'd let me preach long enough. Maybe that's what it would be. I want you to mark in your Bibles a couple passages of Scripture that I want to reference in, in light of tonight's study. And uh, I want you to mark uh, John chapter 5. I want to reference John chapter 5 this evening and Matthew chapter 4. Some really crucial, uh, crucial uh, references there that are going to help us in tonight's study. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. We've been looking at these first three verses. For those of you who are joining us, kind of catch us up to speed. We've been looking at these first three verses and um, of, of, the cha- of the first chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation in its most basic division, uh, in its most basic form, it has t- two main sections to it. Okay, one's really small one, one really big one. Uh, the first three verses is the first main section, and uh, yeah, the first section, and then at verse four of chapter one, all the way through the end of the book is the next section. Okay, and of course, there's many subsections in that, but really, when you break the book of Revelation down in its basic basic form, you have the first three verses, which is the prologue, and then you have verse four, which is the beginning of the prophecy, all the way through the end of the book. Now, these prologues. Um, as we're calling them, are really typical for the writer of the book of Revelation, which is John. He's the one who wrote the gospel according to John, the three, uh, the three, the three Johannian epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then of course he wrote Revelation. Three out of those five writings have prologues. So it's real typical for John in his writing style. And as we've been finding, the prologue, uh, well, that, that word, it means the words before. Okay, pro and logos. That these first three verses are the words before the prophecy. And he uses those to set boundaries or parameters on the book that you're about to uh, enter, the book that you're about to read. It, it sets the boundaries or parameters by which you're able to receive this book. Now, these, this prologue, these three verses, we've been kind of trying to summarize them because we're down in verse 3. We've been trying to summarize the first couple of verses. And you can summarize those first couple of verses in three basic ways. The first thing that John does in these, as, he, as you enter into the prologue is he establishes that the book of Revelation is a prophecy. Okay? Now, of course, we get the title from the first word in the first verse, which is apocalypsis. You can translate that, of course, Revelation, which is where we get the title. Found it significant that that's the first time that word is used and it's the last time that that word is used. Every other time from that, from that word on, when the book is referred to within its own pages, it's always referred to as a prophecy. And John describes the prophecy then with this first word as an unveiling. An unveiling of what? It's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. 
So this, this opening statement that he makes is the first point that we, we want to establish tonight in, in regards to what the, the prologue is trying to accomplish is he, is he is describing what the prophecy is about. So the first thing this, this, uh, these first three verses tell us is that it's a prophecy, okay? that the book we're about to enter is a prophecy, and the content of that prophecy is Jesus himself. Now folks, that's really important to me. That's really important to me. Because I believe that we come into the scriptures, we're coming in the scriptures for one reason, and that's to get to know him. See, when I get into the word, it's not to, to back up my viewpoint. When I get into the scriptures, it's not to work up a sermon. It's, see, when I get into the scriptures, it's to get to know him. And I can't tell you what that'll do to your devotional life. When you get up in the morning, if it's not just, oh, yeah, well, I need to do my devotions. I want to make it to heaven. See, if you got up in the morning and just said, hey, open it up and said, I, I'm reading this to get to know you. Would you reveal yourself to me? Could I just, can I know you on a deeper level? Could you reveal something about you that I've never seen before? Just, hey, I'm open for that. See, that's the point, not only of this prophecy, but the scope of Scripture as we know it. And John establishes that, the very opening phrase. This prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. First thing he wants to establish. Prophecy, and what's the content of the prophecy? It's the revelation and unveiling of who he is. The second thing he wants to establish before we even get into the prophecy itself is the purpose of the prophecy. Now we know that the book is a prophecy and the content of the prophecy is him. But what's the purpose of that? Well, the purpose is, is that when you get into the prophecy and learn about him, you're learning about who you've been called to be. Pretty basic. See, the life that Jesus lived, you're called to live. What's going on in him is supposed to be going on in you. The resource out of it, in which he lived by is a resource that you're to live by. I found this, again, just, it's so typical. It's so, it's so just normal in the New Testament. Jesus talking with his disciples. In John chapter 14, uh, you know, he's going to prepare a place for them. And, and they're a little confused. They don't know where he's going. He says, sure, you know where I'm going. And he's talking about the Father and, and all that the Father's doing. And finally, Philip speaks up and he says, just show us the Father. And that'll be good enough. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? See, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Okay? Because see, my life is the outflow of who he is. See, I am the conduit. I like that word. I am the conduit by which the Father flows. And as I am that conduit, you will be. It's a vine and branch type of stuff. In fact, at the end of that chapter, he says, don't be amazed at the things that I'm doing. You're going to do the same things. Same kind of power and resource I have, same kind of power and resource you're going to Same way I lived in victory, is the same way you're going to live in victory. <laughs> Looks like you had a rough day today. Wow. Okay? That's what we're talking about, man. I, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be frank with you, man. I think, I think the fruit of the Christian life is a victorious life over sin. I do, man. I think the fruit of the real deal people are those who are intimate with Him. The fruit of that is victory in our life, man. That's... That's what he's talking about. The purpose, the purpose of this prophecy is what we see going on in him. Is, see, that's what God intended for you. Isn't that wonderful? The intimacy that Jesus shared with the Father, we can share. We can approach the, groan of, the, 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 groan, the throne of grace boldly and say, Hey, what's up? It's Father, it's Abba, it's that kind of language. First two things so far that he establishes in the prologue is number one, it's a prophecy. The content of the prophecy is the person. The purpose of the prophecy, in other words, when we get in and see Jesus, the purpose of that is to show what's going on in Him is to be going on inside of us. He's the answer to anything in my life. Jesus Himself is the answer to what I'm going through. Okay? Third aspect that He establishes in the first couple verses of the prologue is that 
there's a perspective by which we're to see our world. Knowing that, hey, Jesus and what's going on in Him, and, and He's the example of the life that I'm to embrace, that He is the answer to everything in my life, that is, I'm to live in the reality of that. Okay? That's not like abstract truth that's out there that I kind of believe, but it doesn't affect my life. It is an embrace of that kind of thing. Okay? It is an embrace of that. I'm to live in that perspective. Jesus, come down in my home. Come down in my fifth wheel would be my home. Come down in my fifth wheel, man, and just embrace my family. Okay. I want to live in the I want to see my life through this through the perspective of your eyes. In fact, teens, I absolutely refuse to see my world in any other way. I refuse to see my myself and get my identity through the eyes of the world. I was really bad at that as a kid. I was really bad at that. Just always seeing myself through someone else's eyes. Something happened when I became a Christian. And I began to get into the Word and begin to realize how He views me in Christ. Oh, man. See, you may not be too hot about me, but He's just thrilled with me. You know, I mean, He loves me. And I tell you the confidence that it will bring in your life. Okay, the confidence that you have. I mean, the way you carry yourself, man. I'm a child of the King, man. I mean, he, 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 he dotes upon me. I mean, he just watches me. He, he cares for me. Okay, he, he treats me as a son. The way he looked at Jesus is the way he looks at me. Wow. Okay? Perspective. What would happen to your family if you, if you got in to see your, in the circumstances of your, your family and saw through that perspective? These are the first couple of verses. This is what he's establishing. There's several things that we could really emphasize. And of course we have, there's several studies in these first three verses. But really, when you're coming down to the basics, these three things are what he's establishing. Now, once he's established that, basically in the first two verses, you come into verse 3, which is where we've been this week. Now, verse 3 covers, the first thing he says is that there's a blessing attached to that. So you, if you find yourself in the midst of the first two verses, the, the prophecy, the purpose, and the perspective, there is, an, there is a blessing that's attached to that. We really got interested in that idea of the blessing because there's a cost associated with that. The word blessing is the word makarios, as we've been studying. And it's a blessing as a result of circumstances. And those circumstances in the setting that we have here in Revelation... Those circumstances are a direct result of what God is pulling off. God is reaching down and He's pulling off those circumstances. He's reaching down in our life most of the time, if not all the time, doesn't check with us. I really wish He would sometimes, you know. I really wish I'd get the facts. Jeremiah, next week, brace yourself. You know? But He doesn't. He just comes in my life and poof, there's a flat tire. And you're like, okay. And you find and you look back on circumstances of your life that you kicked and screamed and act like an 11-month-old, like my son. And you look back and think, oh, wow, if I'd have just trusted you in the midst of that. That God comes down and just in my life. Okay? He, he, he manipulates circumstances in my life. Okay? Those are direct results. When that happens, I'm considered blessed. What's interesting, when you look that word up, people who are the recipients of that, who are the recipients of that blessing, oftentimes there was a, if not all the time, there was a, there was a suffering that was attached to that. Uh, there was a certain amount of, of, of death to my own there's a loss to that, which again is so reminiscent of Christ's language. Whoever wants to be my disciples must take up his. Okay? See, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be the recipient of this blessing, see, you want to get into the prophecy of this book. Oh, and you want to be blessed. Hey, have that. That's wonderful. If you want to be the very event, blessed, 
essentially, if you want to be the very event by where God's hand is, you know, stretched out through your life and the, or- and, and the events of your life are orchestrated, if you want that in your life, if you want to be the hand of Jesus Christ in your home, if you want to be the hand of Jesus Christ in your marriage, see, in your job, which is the gospel, hallelujah, but brace yourself. Because there's a cost to that. Because you can't live for yourself and be like that. You cannot orchestrate. You, your, your circumstances of your life cannot be organized to best fit you. Okay? The blessing. There's a cost to the blessing. Verse 3, first thing we ran into. Verse 3, second thing we ran into is that the blessing, and say we do come to the point where we say, hey man, living on a cross... Okay, the style of the cross is, I want that in my life. The style that Jesus lived, a life of pouring out Himself, and He took up His cross daily, just wasn't an event in His life, it was the style of His life. As He, hey, I want, I want to embrace that style of life. How do I get into that? Well, there's an avenue to receive that blessing. There's a blessing and there's a cost to it, but there's an avenue to receive it. In fact, He says, this is what we looked at last night, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And as we talked about last night, the prophecy, this prophecy here is just a small portion of the overall inspired writings that we call scripture. Okay? When we get into the, when we get into the prophecy, when he says, blessed is the one who reads the words of the prophecy, see, he's not talking about John's writings. I mean, John wrote this, yes, but John did not author this. So when you get into this, you're not getting into the opinions of man, you're getting into the opinions of God. Wouldn't that just change the way you just, wow. I mean, this is unique, you understand. The early church didn't appoint this as authoritative. They recognized it as authoritative. Big difference in that. Um, so when you come into the prophecy, John says, which again is, is, is him, it's, it's the written word. It's the written word and the living word is the one who reveals the written word. The living word reveals the written word. John says, if you read it, you'll be blessed. You want to embrace that blessing? You want to be the hand of Jesus Christ in your world? Read the prophecy. And you think, okay, read the prophecy. Try to get that done this week. You know, to-do list. Microsoft Office Task Manager. You know, you got that little thing right there. And then when you click it, it has a line through it. And you go, yes, I accomplished something today. Okay, I have that kind of stuff, all right? You don't write down there, read the words of this prophecy, receive the blessing. That's not the reading he's talking about. The word reading we looked at is a compound word, gnosko and ana. That's the word for read that he uses, ana gnosko. Gnosko is a knowledge that is gained, reading, a knowledge that is gained through personal involvement or experience. In other words, I'm experiencing this. It's, it's more than just surface level facts type of stuff, you know, information. It's, it's I'm getting into the scriptures and I'm experiencing him. Just, oh, doesn't that get you excited? I mean, something about... When I first read that, I was thinking, boy, wouldn't it be terrible to, to be in the Word for like 30 years and miss out on that? I don't think it's possible. But wouldn't it be sad if you just had the thing laying in your house and just, you know, the dust piles... Yeah, I've read that thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Golden Rule, which is not in there. I, you've heard people say that. Oh, yeah, I've read that. It's got some good stuff to say. And, and, to, and to never get past that. Never come to any conclusion that, man, what's going on there? That's the avenue I mean, it's, it's to be saturated in. Gnosko. Now that's powerful enough, but he adds to it Anna. Just pulls out the Anna and just right on the front of it. And Anna, again, means upward or toward, and it makes for a beefed up form of whatever word it's attached to. So it's not just Gnosko, it's Anna Gnosko. 
It's not just, you know, intimately knowing the scripture. It's really, 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 really intimately knowing the scripture. It's a beefed up form of Bible study. Yes. Wouldn't that be neat to have a class called that? Is this your Bible study class? No, that's the beefed up Bible class. <laughs> it's the Anna Gnosko Bible class. See, that's the idea of what he's talking about. Not casual approach reading stuff, but it is a beefed up version that this thing right here is going to be the fabric of... I, I want this right here written on the fabric of my life. When I go down to my job, I want to be a billboard of God's word in my office, man. I want that. There's a cost to the blessing if you want to be blessed. So you embrace Him and embracing Him, see who you've been called to be and live in that perspective. You're going to be blessed. How do you receive that blessing? You get into the prophecy because that's what the prophecy is about. Him. And seeing who He is and seeing how I've been called to live. Okay? There's a blessing. Why do you read it? Not just read it, but it's, it's a life thing. Now, what I want to look with you at this evening, if you're ready, is there is a result of that. Um, I, I want you to believe this. There is a natural... There's consequences to that kind of lifestyle in the Word. There's consequences. Okay? If you embrace Him, if you approach this and say, Jesus, man, I, I want to be Your hand in my world. I want what's going on in You to go on in me. I want, you, I want the resource by which is all that who You are and God Himself. I want that kind of resource spilling down through my life and my job and my family. I want that. And so I'm going to just soak in here. I'm just, I'm going to anagonosco this thing. This thing's going to be more important to me than stock quotes. This thing is going to be more important to me than Survivor. And I know that's difficult. Okay. But this thing right here, this thing is going to be more, this is going to be, there's no other priority in my life that's going to take this right here. I'm going to anagonosco this thing. When that happens in your life, the rip, hear me teens, please. The ripple effects of this are going to change your world. I want to talk to you about that this evening. In order to talk to you about that, I kind of want to touch on what we uh, kind of began with last night. There is, with Scripture, when we're talking about Anagonos going the Bible, there's really two ways to approach God's Word. Um, there's a surface level, facts level approach to Scripture, and then there's truth. And I am absolutely convinced. Teens, if, if you don't hear anything, you're going to hear this right here. Focus in. Okay? I do not want you into facts. You can know all the facts and not know truth. Okay? So there's facts level stuff and then there's truth level stuff. Two ways to approach Scripture. Facts and truth. Facts is the surface level. Just get in, read it. Oftentimes use that for your own purpose type of stuff. And there's examples of that all over the Scripture. And the person who is into the facts surface level of Scripture never get into the deep things of who He is. They never see the person. They never experience His heart. It always just remains information. There's no See, passion arise, uh, arises in our life through the, uh, through the unveiling of who He is. Truth. See, I'm talking truth, man. Not just information. Truth that you can bank on. That's solid. That, that, that's tied to the... I mean, it's Jesus. He's the truth as revealed. That's different than facts. Now you see the ripples of that all, all throughout all throughout Scripture. I'll ask you to mark John chapter 5. I want you to look at this. And we touched base, but just real briefly last night. I was holding back for tonight. Jesus is talking about the testimony of the Father, which is the way He approaches Scripture. Okay? 
He describes the way he approaches Scripture. John chapter 5, verses 37 and 38. Hey, when he, when, you, when he approaches Scripture, it's like God speaking, which is the same approach that the Hebrews author has. When he quotes Scripture, it's what God says. Now, what Ezekiel had to say. Jesus, when he approaches Scripture, it's you hear his voice. <laughs> you hear his voice. I mean, you see his form. You see what he looks like. Wouldn't it be neat to be a teenager? You with me? Wouldn't it be neat if you were a teenager and you could get into this thing and say, I wonder what Jesus would look like in math class. And you could say, hey, how would you look like? What would you look like as a husband? What would you look like in the pressures of a, of a world that's coming and you're, you're going against? What would that look like? See, that's the way Jesus approached this. was an information. Now, verses 39 and 40, he talks about the way the leadership of Israel approached scriptures. It's facts. It's information. It's surface level. Listen to what he says in verse 39. I wanted you to see this for yourself. Verse 39 in IV says, You diligently study the Scriptures. Now, stop right there. He says you. Now, he's talked about the way he approaches the Scriptures. And it's the voice and form and a word and hey, it's him speaking. But he comes to them and he says, You, you diligently study the Scriptures. Uh, uh, talking about the way they approach the Scriptures. And it's, it's interesting that he uses the term or the phrase, you diligently study. That's one word in the original language, diligently study. We, I looked that word up and traced it throughout the New Testament. That word can never be used to describe seeking after a person. It's never used in our Bible to describe seeking after a person. You cannot diligently study a person. Every time it's used, it's like eight or nine times in our New Testament. Every time it's used, it's a gathering or seeking for information. Why do, they come to the, why, why do they come to the Bible? Information. That was their motivation. In fact, listen as Jesus continues. He says, you diligently study the scriptures. Why? Well, you think that by them you can possess eternal life. So why do they study the Bible? Oh yeah, to figure out what I need to know to get to heaven. That's why they got, you know. Why do you study the Bible? Oh, you know, this, that, do, don't, and you know, and do the, and then I'll get to go to heaven and I'll get a mansion in the sky and it'll be great streets of gold. I have my own golf cart there beside the house and, you know, and, and just, they're, they're doing that. They're getting into the scriptures to get information to get to heaven, eternal life. That's why they, it's information. That's why they get into this. Find a way to get to heaven. Jesus says this, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. He refused to come to me to have life. What do the scriptures talk about? Him. Which is, this is, I mean, they just missed this. See, the reason they get in the scriptures is to get information to get to heaven, and yet the scriptures are to reveal Jesus, which is the way to heaven, and yet they still missed him. Which tells us that you can be in the scriptures. You can know, you can know facts. You can know all this and never know him. You can know right answer stuff. I was amazed and you can turn there if you like. I was amazed at, at Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is out in the wilderness. And there's a whole string of comments uh, that Satan makes towards Jesus. This overwhelmed me. This, is, this was, I mean, it was new truth to me. Uh, as we begin to study this some time ago. Jesus is in the, in the, in the wilderness temptation scene. We are familiar with this. Well, the enemy comes and tempts Jesus... And Jesus responds by, again, turning to the Father, and he leans on Scripture for his actions. Comes back and he takes the, hear this, he takes the enemy's words and he bends those things and submits them to God's Word. 
What would happen if that took place in our life? Anything anyone said, hey, anything that anything comes in my mind, I grab that thing. Anything anyone says, I take that and bend that thing down to the authority of the word. And if it doesn't submit to the authority of the word, it's not of him. Jesus does that. The enemy gives him a temptation. Jesus grabs that and goes, whoa, doesn't fly. Interesting what Satan does. Satan says, hey, you want to use scripture? I know scripture. And he quotes scripture back at Jesus. He says, hey, doesn't the scriptures say? Throw yourself off the temple. Yeah, because the scriptures say. He quotes this. But he misses the point of this. See, he misses the point of this. Which made me really think, see, Satan knows scripture. Do you realize that Satan knows scripture better than anyone else in this room? I mean, he tempted everyone who ever was. Well, how, how could you miss that? See, Satan wasn't in him. And you can know all the details and know the person. That's what we're talking about. See, that's, I mean, and, and to get past just the surface level, casual approach of information and get into truth of who he is. Okay? That there's something about... And Paul, and we can't... Uh, turn back with me if you would, please, to uh, the book of Revelation chapter 1. But I found it really interesting in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16 down, uh, 6 down through verse 16. See, Paul is talking about, I mean, he just, he's bold on this kind of thing, that the knowledge that he has is not a knowledge or wisdom that is gained of the rulers of this age, he says. See, he didn't get that from going down to college. Yeah. How do you know so much, how do you know so much, Paul? Well, you know, I went to college. That's, he rejects that. It is a wisdom that is gained through him. That there's something about, hear this, this is a crucial point. There's something about Scripture as it is sourced by the Holy Spirit and Scripture as it is sourced by flesh and academics. If you come to Scripture with an academic mindset, you come to Scripture with, on the basis and the, and, and, the, and the resource of yourself, you're looking at facts, surface level confusion. And you come to the Scripture and say, Jesus, reveal yourself. And the Holy Spirit, who knows the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, reveals the truth. You come to a whole new... Have you ever met anybody who, who just had a self-centered viewpoint and used Scripture to support themselves? And you just want to reach out and go, you're missing it, man. Well, I, my dad used to do that. Okay? He's a Christian now. In fact, he's with Jesus. Um, but I'm the head of my household. Praise the Lord. <laughs> He bent that, bent that thing, man. To, and that's not at all exposing the heart of... See, so I don't come to the Scripture to use it for my own purposes or to use it for my own agenda or to, or to prove or to back up. Literally, the Scripture, again, is to reveal Him. It's to reveal Him. So there's surface level truth and there is, uh, there is there's truth itself. And I don't even like to call it surface level truth. I call it facts. In fact, just one more thing. I was talking to a friend of mine, a pastor in uh, Minnesota on this. And he was dealing with some of the details in Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas and their little party are uh, headed into Philippi. I think it's Philippi. And uh, you had this, this slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She's following Paul and his company around for days. Saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. Which is, Wow. That's a fact, man. They are servants of the Most High God. Paul listens to this. But it says after a couple days, Paul became troubled. Why? That was not utilized. It was not sourced by him. 
The whole that was a demonic deal. And, and Paul turns around and casts the spirit of that girl, man. And he gets taken into prison. So literally, you can have scripture that's utilized by the enemy, sourced by the enemy, facts, surface level. And then you can have scripture. See, so come to this book as the revelation of who he is, and it's resourced by Jesus Christ. You get what I'm talking about? I really, I really believe that. There's surface level truth or facts, and then there's truth. And approaching the scripture as the revelation of Jesus. In our passage, okay, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, really important. There is a factual level of this. There is a factual uh, approach to this. And then there's a, there is a depth, there is a revelation of truth that we're after in this verse. And I want to move beyond the surface. Now what I'm getting at, it seems like the setting of verse 3 would fit into our culture as uh, really a Sunday morning kind of setting where pastor comes and it's totally appropriate. Uh, I, I, in fact, even to some degree, I don't disagree with it. But it's surface. It's, it's, it's a pastor comes or an evangelist or a missionary and he preaches and it's, the preaching is reading. He's been soaking and, you know, and there's an audience who hears him. If you look at the surface level of that verse, that's kind of how it, how it seems. Listen, as the NIV reads it, or as the NIV uh, has it. Blessed is the one who reads, and actually that's a participle read, and it's actually translated who's reading, because it's a present continual type of thing. Blessed is the one reading the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. In fact, when we begin to study this, several commentators said, yeah, this is a picture of what, what's to be done with this prophecy. It's to be read in a setting like this, and the one who's reading it is blessed, and those who hear it are blessed. Commentators said that. Now, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I want to be honest with you, I think that's a surface, if that's all that we get coming from that verse, that is a surface level approach to that. And, and, and why I say that, first of all, is I don't think preachers are the only one to read the word. Okay? I don't think we're just the lucky ones. Okay? See, when I'm thinking, when we're talking about Anagonosco, I think you get to get in on that. That that's not just a preacher type of thing. That's a Christian type of thing. I, I say this all the time, that if I, uh, you know, had to get off the road and actually get a job, um, I, I wouldn't stop studying like this. I would, there's, I, see, I wouldn't give this up. I mean, this is not like... See, I don't... People say, well, you do that to get sermons. No, I don't. No, I don't. You know, we, we get those from sermon.com. See, I... This... <laughs> see, we get into this, man, for him. So this is not sermon stuff. This is... Ask my wife. She lives with me. This is to... This is to stay alive. This is the only way I make it. This is my spiritual sustenance, man. This is the only... That's the only chance that I've got. So this is not just preacher stuff. This is not, oh, what's he describing? Blessed is the one reading. Oh, that's preacher stuff. Yeah, that's how they get. No, no, no. There's no evidence that I find in Scripture that the only ones who are allowed to get into the Word like that are preachers. You and I. See, that's, you and I have the avenue of that. Now, this may shock you, but I don't have a problem calling that a preacher, though. Uh, what would you do if I told you that I thought you were a preacher? What, I, what would you do if I thought that everyone who was ever created were called to be preachers? How do you define preaching? Oh, well, the guy stands up and yells and screams and sweats and spits and we stay there and, you know. And, well, that's one form of preaching. And this is my pulpit. 
Would you believe me if I told you that there's a whole other form of preaching? That perhaps down at your job, you're a preacher and maybe have never known it. Now what if I told you that the, cons- uh, that the direct result of someone who's living in the Word on this level, you've got to get this, the direct result, a natural result, in fact, I believe that you can't, you can't prevent it. Someone who's living in the Word on this kind of level, the natural outplay of that is, is going to be preaching. You can't get into truth and keep that bottled up. You will have to have an outlet. It will come out of your life. I mean, it's just, it, it's, the, it's the dynamic of who he is. You just can't, it's just, you will be preaching this. In fact, this is what, and I want to share this with you. This, is, this was so neat for us. This is really evident in the passage, but the NIV translates it a little botched. The second word for blessed in verse 3, it says, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And the NIV says, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. So in my translation, there's two words for blessed. You're blessed if you read the words of this prophecy. But as the NIV states, you're also blessed if you hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Well, when I got in the original language, begin to study this, and you can find Greek manuscripts anywhere, that second word for blessed is not even there. It's not even there. It's not blessed is the one who reading this, reads the words of this prophecy. And then, well, you can be blessed also. In other words, if you're really not into reading it, saturating it, I mean, that's kind of extreme. If you're, you can still receive the blessing just hearing it. Yeah, show up to church on Sunday, pay your tithe, and let the pastor shovel truth in your mouth. You'll be blessed as well. That's not what this is saying. Really. That's not the only setting we're talking about. That second word is not there. So it's translated properly. Blessed is the one reading the words of this prophecy and those who hear and take to heart what is written in it. So the natural flow of the passage is, is if you're reading the words of this prophecy, guess what? People will be hearing and have the opportunity to take to heart what is written in it. Okay? That the natural flow of my life is that when I'm reading the words of this prophecy, there will be those who hear and take to heart what is written in it. Um, I'm already uh, under the impression that I'm being watched all the time. Um, now, I'm not mental, but uh, it, it, it's, uh, I just got this notion... And it's a guy who's probably about that tall. Has a pacifier in his mouth most of the time. Loves veggie tails. Okay. Doesn't have much hair. Can't talk yet. Crawls, drools a ton. His name's CJ. He's my son. And I've got a feeling that I'm talking to that kid a lot. I'm under the impression that I have a pulpit right on the top of my coffee table in my living room. I'm under the impression that I have a, that there will be times that I don't even realize it, that there is a pulpit that erects itself right on the edge of the sink when I'm doing dishes. Or tonight when I cooked dinner and, and we had chicken. It was great chicken. Hey, there's a, there, there's, a, there's a pulpit there. I wonder where your pulpit is. I wonder if you realize that you have a pulpit that sets on the end of your desk and that you're preaching. See, if the, uh, the concept that's presented here is that if you allow yourself to just totally be taken in with the Scripture and anagonoscoing the Word, the direct, you can't stop that. Now, I'm taking for granted that you're in the Word. It's what I'm doing. 
I'm taking for granted that you have a life in the Scriptures like that. And that out of your life, the rippling effects of your life is that there will be those who hear and take to heart what is written in it. The idea of hear in our passage, the idea of hearing our passage is it is an audible hearing, which means you're talking about it. It's just, man, just as, it's kind of a natural, it's kind of what you're into. I met a guy a couple weeks ago at a, at a church, and actually went a few weeks ago, some time ago, but he was a football strategist. This guy was just, it amazed me. I learned a lot from him. I'd, I'd, I've always heard of fantasy football, but I'd never understood what it was. Um, fantasy football is where you watch uh, all the football games in a given week. And you keep track of all the scores of all the players on all the teams. <laughs> Full-time job. And you just, you really, mark, and there's a computer. There's, there's, net, there's, uh, uh, there's websites that enhance this on the computer. You can go and they keep all the stats for you and, and you fax them to your house. And man, it's just, it's wonderful. So, hey, it's the fantasy football. And after watching all the games and keeping all the stats, you pick who did the best and who, what you think. You project on what they'll do next week and you build this fantasy football team. And then based on the stats next week, whoever had the best projection, they're winning. This guy's the Tiger Woods of fantasy football. I mean, he's fantastic, man. I mean, he's fantasy football stud. Okay? That's what he is. It's amazing. Um, he came up to me after one of the service and just said, man, Jeremiah, I'm amazed at your biblical knowledge and just, man, you're just, you're in, that's just phenomenal. You just, you know so much about that. He says, but you know, you went to college. You went to college to learn that. And I said, no. And I did it purposefully. I said, it's amazing how much you know about football. That's phenomenal. But you went to college for that. You know, studied in college for that. And of course he said, no. I'm into that. I wish I could have just said, listen, man. <laughs> Would you get into this like you're into fantasy football? Is there anything wrong with fantasy football? Oh, hey jump into fantasy football but what would happen if you could get into if you could get into this if someone would look at you and see your fantasy football and say yeah you should see how he gets into the bible though <laughs> the guy has issues okay you think his fantasy football stuff is crazy you should see what he does with john man you should see what he's doing in the in the pauline letters see that's that's the idea of what we're talking about okay and when that's going on in your life have you ever walked into a church and you can pick out the football Play without even. I, I love doing this. The first Sunday you go in, you walk in and you say stuff like, "Wow, you see Seattle? You have five guys that just run right over. Oh yeah, and they're all about the game, or you know, or maybe it's politics. You know, you walk in and you just whisper, you know, Republican or whatever, and you'll see certain people run from you and other people gravitate to you. Okay, politics. Wouldn't it be something if that was the scripture kind of thing, you know, in your life? Um, you were turned on to someone comes into your job and yells, Hey, John! And you're like, chapter 5, verse 3? Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought she was talking about I've been really studying John chapter 5. See, what if that was the way you, you know? Someone calls out Samuel, first or second Samuel. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about that. See, that's the... It's, it's you're going to be talk. That's the idea. Those who hear and take to heart. You are blessed. If you're anagonoscoing the Scriptures, there will be those in your life who will hear and take to heart have the opportunity to take to heart what is written in this book. Because why? You're going to be talking about it. You're going to be sharing it. It's going to be just the fabric of your life. The word hearing is not just an audible hearing, though. It is a, it is a hearing that makes sense. In other words, there's communication that takes place. 
You, in other words, this is not, it's beyond facts. There's truth that's been communicated and you can adequately talk about it. Now, last thing. Not only here, but they will have the opportunity to take to heart. This word take to heart means to always keep before you. That's what it means. Moses uses this, and for time's sake, I won't, I won't switch back there, but Moses uses this back in Deuteronomy, right before he goes up to the mountain to die, and he reads the words of this song that was sung, and he says, yea, it will be do well for you if you take to heart all the words of what I, hey, this. And the idea is keep them before you. Think about this, especially if you have, um, well, I look at my son and I would, I mean, Man, I want him to grow up to be tight with Jesus. And, I, and to think that as a preacher, not just standing up here yakking my mouth because he's in the nursery, but somehow my life in the Scriptures provides a pulpit in my fifth wheel where he not only just hears me, but it makes sense and the opportunity is provided that he can always keep before him the truth of this. And if you put that together, if he's always keeping before that, uh, that before him, well, that's the same thing I'm doing, which means, hey, he may begin to saturate and all that's taking place in my life can be transferred and he can begin to take place in his life and it's a, cha- it's a rippling kind of effect and that, that type of... Blessed is the one reading the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. I want to encourage you that uh, if you could get into the perspective, and I'm sure you are, getting into the perspective of the kingdom and getting into the perspective of of I get in the scriptures to know who he is and seek after him and somehow seeking after him and knowing him I see who God has called me to be living in that I'm blessed the avenue that's the scriptures and when I'm getting in and living in that I've got this crazy idea I'll close with this I've got this crazy idea and you can feel free to disagree but I've got this idea that God bends the circumstances of my life to teach me about that. And what if my life, all my life, what if the real big deal of this world wasn't about the details of this world? Wasn't about, well, am I going to have a flat tire on the way down to Eugene or am I not going to have... What, what if that just, well, you might, you might not, that's not the big deal. What if the big deal was all that's taking here, place here was training and, 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 and the moving of the Father in my life and the equipping and the resourcing to teach me about what's going to go on there? And what if, literally, my life revolves around wherever I study in the Scriptures? That He just takes, he takes my day as I begin to saturate in Revelations. Have you ever noticed that? If you've ever been just lived in a passage... You just, the things in that passage, he just, he utilizes your day and, and stuff in your day just pops up and you're like, oh, that's Revelation chapter, you know. It's just a, what if that could take place in our life like that? Radically transform my day. Manipulating the events of my life. Reaching his hand through my life. And if I live in the scriptures, and that, the rippling effects is everyone around me will be afforded the opportunity to both hear and take to heart. I want that. Jesus, we thank you this evening for the truth of your word.